You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. Hosted by Blake Murphy 7, all about your Arizona Cardinals. And welcome in. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast. We are coming in off of the Cardinals bye week, heading into the Patriots game. Uh, my name is Blake Murphy, writing for Revenge of the Birds, hosting the podcast. And this week, bringing on a guest, the Cardinal Rule himself, the man who's at least done some good job covering the Cardinals this year. Finally get to have him on the podcast. I'll be going on his show in turn later this week. Joe Como, uh, thank you for coming on to the show. Man, thanks for having me. You know, we, we interact a lot on Twitter. We were talking about that, about that before we went live, and I always enjoy following you on Twitter. And it's nice to get to talk to you and talk some Cardinals today. Yeah, absolutely. Another numbers Twitter user, at least, with Como 13 <laughs> I do like at least the K-O-M-O. It's a little kind of play on words for the most part. But yeah, let's let's get right into it. Talk some Cardinals. We're coming off of the bye week. A lot of Cardinals fans said that there was no disappointment to have to look forward to, which is at least something that's a little different. But on the other hand, there wasn't really a game to be happy about either. How are you feeling at least coming off of the bye week? Is this optimism or more pessimism for you? You know, this is, we needed the bye week emotionally is, is how I feel about it. You know, th- this season has been a disaster, you know, as, as a fan. Um, I don't have a ton of optimism. For me, really, I'm just looking at, okay, who are the players who are showing enough that they belong on this team next year? Who are the players who are the building blocks for what inevitably is going to have to be a reset next year, at least in terms of getting some things fixed? So, you know, at this point, uh, there's not a lot of optimism for this year, but there's some players that, you know, are showing some things that, that give me some optimism for the future. You know, the, the young pass rushers, we can get into that later. Um, but yeah, right now, it's a little bit of a wash of a season and just kind of, you know, looking to next year, which as a Cardinals fan feels all too familiar. Absolutely. Yeah, the reset. It was a crazy offseason for the Cardinals. A lot of what I think, and this is something that noted at least in the podcast back in 2021 when the Cardinals were 10-2 was, hey, enjoy this, guys, because 2022 and then 2023, there's a lot of resets that have to be gone through with the cards. Um, You look at, obviously, Justin Pugh came back. Rodney Hudson had retirement reports that came up. You know you got at least one more year of uh, J.J. Watt and then Marcus Golden together. And at the end of this year, it's really seemed like that the entire strategy of we're going to put all of the eggs in the basket of the offense and see DeAndre Hopkins get suspended, Hollywood Brown and Zach Ertz get hurt, the latter for the season. And overall, just, you know, Benjamin getting released. It's been a very strange year, as well as seeing Kyler Murray regress. It still, to me, felt like there was enough talent that the team had to be able to contend said that I don't know if they're going to be a 10 win team or not. I said somewhere maybe seven to 11 wins would make some sense. And the Cardinals are currently four and eight. So the big question then is how much of this is simply just kind of, you got lucky last year. You kind of peaked for the most part between that and your coaching staff, you haven't adjusted, or is this simply that the Cardinals have been injured and not had a lot of depth. That's what a lot of people have talked about. I think it's somewhat on the GM a little bit too, but do you think it's more injuries or coaching to blame for this four and eight record can i just say yes uh, i mean i think i think there's some of both and it's, it's funny because you know you you interact with a lot of folks on twitter i do as well and this has become like this huge political divide amongst the cardinals fan base hmm. is it injuries right and we need to give cliff another chance or does cliff need to be gone and and you know there's a lot more people who fall on the side of blaming the coach um i mean the injuries to the offensive line have been a real problem right 
Kelvin Beecham was the only real starter playing for this offensive line the last couple of weeks. You know, uh, you know, Josh Jones is a starting caliber tackle, but the interior has been third string journeyman type players. And that has a cascading effect on the rest of the offense, right? If Kyler doesn't have time, if the run game doesn't work. And, you know, last year I had, had the good fortune of having Brett Coleman jump on my live stream one time. And he was talking about uh, Cliff Kingsbury's run offense and how his, his blocking schemes are actually – very nuanced and very, very beautiful is kind of how you describe them. And, and I have to wonder when you've got backup offensive linemen having to come in, you know, if, if the, if the blocking schemes are a little more nuanced and take a little more time to get, you know, to pick up, maybe that's part of the struggle. Um, but that offensive line has been a clear issue. Uh, but I do have some concerns with, with Cliff's, you know, offense in terms of how it pertains to the NFL, how it fits in the NFL. You know, the offense is really geared towards being an up-tempo offense with quick reads. So there's not a lot of play variations. It's just more kind of these, you know, shifts in the routes um, that the receivers make and then quick reads by the quarterback. Um, but you wonder, has it become too predictable? And a lot of folks who do this stuff for a living, you know, folks at PFF really are down on his offense in terms of its fits for the NFL. You know, and every fan, you know, they call him Cliff Screensberry these days. It feels like too many screens. Uh, he's never met a wide receiver screen he didn't like. And and then there's just these moments where it feels like he's trying to get too cute with the play calls. You know, like on fourth and one, a jet sweep to run no more. And you have James Conner on your team. You know, and I, I know you're trying to catch people off guard, but sometimes you're, you're overthinking it. So I have some legitimate concerns. I think he's a smart guy. He works hard. He's not a bad coach, but you wonder about the fit in the NFL. Um, you know, so in a perfect world, they would have had a healthy offensive line so we could get a clear read on this would have been the decisive year for him. And now, you know, there, there is a lot of debate, as you noted, because of, of the injuries, but concerns with the offense and, and maybe not adjusting in ways he needed to. Yeah, I think a lot of it comes down ultimately to what is kind of the identity of this Cardinals team? What kind of it has been? It's taken a few years, I think, to get here, uh, especially since after that 2017 season. I've always gone back to that as that in the 2018 season essentially kind of forced that reset in 2019. So then the question is, all right, what does it look like since then? And going to that year, you could kind of see that if Cliff's entire approach is we're going to basically not just run the ball well, we've got a mobile quarterback who's able to pick up yards, which is a great way to find these different mismatches. Like Kyler's able to force a guy to have to make a decision to go after the quarterback or go after the running back on the edge, like being able to get bodies and mismatches there. I think the way that their offense has looked at space has been a little bit different. And some of those were the idea of the horizontal screens in college. I know it's something people have talked about vividly where you get the ball to Rondale Moore on a beautiful little tunnel screen. And then once the defense sees that, suddenly a guy gets slightly better leverage, takes away a yard that you were going to use. And you got to suddenly break an arm tackle. You got a little five, seven Rondale Moore then having to break that arm tackle. And I think ultimately what it kind of ends up being defined by is maybe not necessarily Cliff because he can at least design or get guys open, but it's really built about when the chips are down and when you need to have someone step up, it's about winning one-on-one -on -one individual matchups. It's about being able to have it where a team can rush four and you're protecting with five guys and they're able to each win their matchup. You're able to see at least a running back make a man miss or as we've seen too, an A.J. Green or DeAndre Hopkins make a guy miss down the field in one-on-one -on -one coverage. So last year, I think in 2021, when we lost DeAndre Hopkins, and I think it was an extension of in 2020 when teams realized, hey, 
let's just double DeAndre Hopkins because Larry Fitzgerald, he's just that possession catch receiver. You don't really have another threat on the team. Cardinals go out bringing a bunch of different threats, and ultimately we've kind of seen that the build of the offense just – you can put players in great position to make plays, but as an overall game plan, it's very limited if the Cardinals are not able to find things on the ground. And I think that's been one of the areas where you wonder how much of it is limited by the coach or is it limited simply by the quarterback? Because Cardinals in 2021, the biggest thing you can always say about it was they were so good at forcing turnovers, being able to then score off of that that really when you did get to kind of put them into negative game scripts, it suddenly felt like that their offense just fell apart. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, you talk about the players making big plays and you just haven't seen that this year very much. I mean, you know, Hopkins has made a few of those, but, you know, last season, A.J. Green had a couple 50-50 balls he went up for and made huge plays. You see, you saw James Conner making some big runs and obviously Kyler making big plays. And, you know, I, I think when you look at what's wrong with this offense this year, there's a lot of reasons that go into it. But, like, the main symptom has been that they've been anemic when it comes to the big plays. Mm-hmm. Those have those have been not completely disappeared. We've had a few recently, but this, this offense was making a lot of big plays last year, and you're just not seeing those, you know, and what, how much of that is on the offensive line, the, the play calling, the, the league catching up to them. Uh, but that does seem to be the big thing is, is that those big plays just haven't been there. Yeah, and I think a lot of that has ultimately been the league. And I think the place that you look back to it is also look at trends, look at different behaviors. The thing that I think stunned a lot of people was, hey, Cardinals, they could use a second wide receiver opposite Hopkins. And then five guys were selected in the draft ahead of them. Christian <laughs> right. Kurt got paid a contract that's like is still being memed about, I think, at least for people. <laughs> for, and you can see kind of the impact that receiver has made where there's just been kind of a mismatch between a team having multiple receivers and corners which is like that was what cliff's kind of approach had been i think what's changed in a lot of ways is kind of it's been cyclical with the nfl where a lot of teams said all right here's what we're going to do we're going to make sure that we play how we played patrick mahomes and josh allen put the two safeties up front we're going to take their number one receiver kind of disrupt all their routes and know that they are going to be a pass first team that can't run the ball so therefore, it's going to bake everything into quarters coverage or being able to disguise these different places where all of a sudden, when you add a bad offensive line into the mix and a lack of a run game, that's really been, I think, the key to why Arizona has struggled so much this season. It's looked a lot of ways like how the Chiefs offense looked with Patrick Mahomes for a few games during the stretch of 2021. And same way with how the Bills, they you could look at statistics, Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, very similar first half explosion, second half struggle. And I think a lot of the adjustment comes down to being able to be a full offense and being able to attack with via the run, via the pass, and via play action. And I think Arizona's this year really struggled, at least for the most part, with all three, with the exception of Kyler being able to find guys like Hopkins, Hollywood, at least, against corners and mismatches. And, you know, credit Cliff a little bit for at least moving Hopkins out of the way. But I think that's been the key, ultimately, is that the teams that have won games this year, if you look at it, teams like the Vikings, teams like the Eagles, teams that have been able to effectively run the ball with great offensive lines. And 
Now, talking about the injuries now, here's Arizona with Justin Pugh out for the season. Rodney Hudson. This is like the – I remember a conversation with people. I said, who would you draft in the first round? I said, I'd probably take Tyler Linderbaum. And I was told I was crazy for taking a first-round center that high. And I was like, I, I don't know if Hudson's a sure thing. And either way, like, you want to prep for the future. Cardinals sit a guy a year usually and then have him on the bench to develop. Maybe you play him at right guard for a little bit competition. And then, of course, their right guard himself, uh, Will Hernandez, has been out, and they've had just a turntable or just a revolving door, I should say, of offensive linemen players to the point where not a single one of their guys who they opened the season with, except for Kelvin Beecham, like you said, has lasted. And at that regard, you just got to wonder how much of this is on Steve Keim himself for not looking at some of the different needs, or was it more just kind of bad luck that the Cardinals, you know, tried to run stuff back a year and... You know, maybe it's a lesson learned from 2015 is that you kind of have to retool every year because if you just say we're going to run it back, eventually that luck's going to kind of run out. Yeah, and, you know, I, you have to look at it. And we'll, we'll get into this a little bit later with Steve Kine, but I think he's had to patch a lot of holes because of the deficiencies in the draft with aging veterans. And mm-hmm. I think that's part of it um, when you're looking at all those injuries. And there might be some other reasons for the injuries. You know, there's been some people talking about the turf at the stadium and yeah, something's gone on with injuries. And I don't know if it's just one thing, but I want to go back to something. You brought up a really great point about one of these shifts in terms of how defenses have been playing, right? You know, everyone's been talking about how uh, teams are blitzing less and they're playing those shell defenses and those cover twos and they're making offenses, you know, work underneath and assuming that at some point the offense is going to make a mistake and, you know, bend but don't break, so to speak. And, you know, that that has been this shift. And, and I think part of that is these this long standing, you know, linebackers, inside linebackers and getting smaller and faster. And so, you know, defensive offenses now look at that like, OK, they're playing these cover twos with these small, fast linebackers and the teams that have been effective are the ones who run up the middle because if you're going to if you want to get someone out of a cover 2 shell you run up the middle mm-hmm. and you get them to bring that safety in right and if those linebackers are all undersized fast side to side sideline to sideline kind of guys you have an advantage so you look at those teams who have been running well and the card it's it's tough because the cardinals can run well like people think of it as a pass first offense but it's an offense that has been able to run mm-hmm. but it's a little more of a zone and it's not as much of a power run although Connor can do that, um, but they haven't been doing that effectively. But, you know, going back to Kyler and, and with the offense, it's interesting. Like, it, it really does look like that that defensive shift has impacted them because those big plays I talked about earlier are gone. But I want to just mention a few quick stats I, I, I looked up on, on Kyler. His bad throw percentage is actually sixth best in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's on target at 77.6% of his throws are on target, which is second best in the NFL. But the problem, he's accurate, but he's ranking 27th in intended air yards per pass attempt, yep. right? So he's not going deep. And when he does go deep, he's actually not throwing well at all because uh, on passes uh, over 20 yards, yep. uh, he's ranked 37th at 26.7% completion percent. So 20, all the other- I think he's like 29th or 30th as well in terms of not just looking at the yards per mm-hmm. attempt. Like, yeah, it's just mm-hmm. been super low. But also, you said not even 20 yards, 15-plus yards. He's one of the lowest ranked as far as attempts and for completions of 15-plus yeah. yards. So it's been nothing really more than a dink-and-dunk level yeah. offense, and it's been incompletions when he's gone deeper than that. Right. And I, and I think, I you know, people asked, you know, what's going on with Kyler? Why is he seemed to have regressed? 
And I think part of it is that. I think part of it is that that shift. The, the, I think the offense hasn't effectively adjusted to that. Whatever whatever they're doing with those deep shots isn't working. Uh, whether they don't have the right schematics to attack this new kind of uh, trend in defense or something, but the, everything points to it's the big plays that are missing. And it's it's Kyler is is you know under 20 yards, under 15 yards. His numbers aren't bad, but it's it's that stuff deeper that they're just not not getting. And that was a strength from last year. So. Yeah, there, there's there's a lot of issues. I think it's part schematic. I think maybe it's part not keeping up with those trends. It's part injuries. It's part all of that. Yeah, I agree. I, I still hold out, at least maybe it's totally off for some of that, but I still look remember back at the preseason where Kyler didn't have a chance to mesh with a lot of his team, didn't get to practice as much. Cliff essentially, and this is kind of maybe a harbinger for the season. Everyone's like, why are they not doing anything in preseason? And you realize it's because – guys were basically just dropping like flies left and right in like their first or second practice. So, you know, whether that came down to some people of blame, whether it was contracts or other disputes, but I, I do feel like that the wrist injury that Kyler did suffer to his throwing mm. arm that kept him out for a bit of time. I think that that has been kind of a combination that perhaps it hasn't been quite fixed. And I remember back to the 2020 days where he kind of stopped running because he actually ended up hurting his shoulder and being like his throwing shoulder. So suddenly you ended up seeing him being less willing to take on contact. You saw the Cardinals dip off quite Quite a bit. I think a lot of people are also wondering how much of this regression has come just due to essentially with all of this drama that happened with him in the offseason. Mm-hmm. Getting paid, a lot of people will reference the contract. And I feel like I fall more of the camp of look, if you're going to either pay your quarterback or not, is the question. It's less about that and more about are you going to try to just move on from your quarterback to find another? Because you look at the Jared Goffs, even the Carson Wentz, a lot of these quarterbacks have gotten paid and they get paid big money and it hasn't always worked out like after kyler murray yeah. signed his contract people were upset and complaining i'm like look either you're signing the 25 year old quarterback or you think that you've got a chance to either develop or fix who really has not had a bunch of off seasons in the league thus far or you're having to pay that 34 year old russell wilson and trade like your whole draft away from him to yeah. seattle because that's kind of where the nfl it's a quarterback have or a quarterback not type of league there's also been questions about the way he handled his business. Obviously, there's been leadership questions that people have had about him. Uh, Patrick Peterson, in particular, in the last couple right. of weeks, at least. <laughs> so, I know I never heard, didn't hear anything about week after after week two with Kyler Murray. You hear plenty about it after you know they played the Vikings this year. What do you think as far as when it comes to Kyler? There's a lot of fans who I think have been split on him ever since he was first brought up as a possibility back in 2019 for the Cardinals to draft. And then you bring up the idea of paying and all the other avenues. Like there's so much to be figured out. Do you think that Kyler's one of the people who ultimately is at fault for a lot of the reasons, maybe even more than some of the coaching or some of the talent issues around him? Because a lot of fans, I think were maybe longing for quote McCoy, they got a win. And then following week realized, Oh man, we probably do have to make it work with this Murray kid after all. Right. And, you know, that's that's become in recent weeks the number one topic that I see fans talking about. It's shifted from fire cliff, fire kind to all right. Now let's talk about Kyler. And, um, you know, and I you make I think I completely agree with you that when it comes to NFL quarterbacks, you, know, you can't just try to lowball them. You pay them or move on. You, if you draft a guy like Kyler year three, you either pay him or you give him the Baker Mayfield treatment, and then that tells the quarterback you don't believe in him. Now, if, if you're a fan who says you think that they should have moved on, then I respect that opinion, and, you know, and that that's fine. But, like, you know, lowballing him was not an option. I was I have been on the side that I'm a believer in Kyler's talent. I think 
they should have. I do think signing him to the extension was the right move in the situation. It hasn't worked out this year. Um, you know, he's he's not a perfect quarterback. Every quarterback has their flaws, their flaws. But I feel like the, the people are making too much of the personality thing. You have guys like Aaron Rodgers who throw his receivers under the bus, you know, to the media. You have guys who have been, had mercurial personalities who are prickly. You know, Kyler's a little bit aloof, and he's of his generation. And I, I feel like there's a little bit too much of a generational kind of perception on this. Like, I, I work at a university, so I work with, you know, people in his age. I, I sound old, like an old man saying that. But I'm around younger people all the time, and I just don't see anything in his personality that's all that inconsistent with people in his generation. And I think people are just making too much of a big deal out of that. You know, it's, it's back in my day, whatever, uh, kind of attitude. Um, now, that doesn't mean he is without fault or flaw. I think he does have room to grow in terms of film study, in terms of making reads. But most quarterbacks at his age do. There are some that are certainly that are better than him. Part of it, I think, is also the offensive system he's played in forever isn't about huge adjustments at the line of scrimmage. It's about reading what's there and making the right throw within that system, right? Mm -hmm. um, so so part of that is on the system that he's he's been in forever. Um, so, you know, and I, I imagine, you know, it's a human. So I think some of this stuff in the offseason and then the losing and the frustrations probably has compounded. And then when he's, you know, w with the offensive line being injured, um, I think he's maybe getting a little jittery, you know, and, and that's probably impacting his play. So I, but I don't think these things are systems, right? Scheme, offensive line, quarterback, receivers, everything kind of connects, interconnects. And I don't think you can put it on one person. Um, I think some of those things have affected him. I think he's made some mistakes, but I, I don't think it's just the problem is, you know, Kyler Murray, right? I just don't think that's it. Yeah, I, and then looking also one more thing before I move on, just about a bit of the system at least. There's been tendencies or things that you look for as far as Arizona. This year's reminded me a lot of 2019 as far as for how, you know, when Kyler came into the league, you're like seeing swing and horizontal passes. You're not seeing as much of a deep game. You're also, I think, seeing kind of, a, I call it kind of a turtling is what I call it with Cliff, mm -hmm. where when he feels like he can't keep his quarterback upright, and the quarterback is like having to run every single player, so he'll just switch to kind of that short passing game or move to those horizontal uh, kind of uh, screen plays because that's a way to essentially kind of use your run game in a way that actually gets the ball out quick, use the pass game as an extension of the run game. And the fact at least is that it's supposed to be in a perfect world. You're like, all right, we are in first and 10. We swing a pass out to Rondale. He picks up about six yards. Suddenly now we're in second and four. We can choose whether do we want to hand the ball off? Do we want to go ahead and try to run the ball, get into a third manageable? And I think that he kind of tries to view it in bite-sized chunks like usually you'll always see hey they missed a deep shot in first and 10 you know that next play almost puts them into third and one on second and 10 sometimes mm. that way they at least have the option on third and one to say hey we've got a deep shot open here that we can take that way if we want to we can go for it on fourth and one try to pick that up or just being able to make it where it's in third and somewhat manageable because when it's been in third and 13 third and 14 a lot of times it feels kind of like the plan is that Kyler's going to kind of have to make something mm. happen and occur and I think a lot of that, at least schematically, is kind of unfortunately not in some of Kyler's favor. Um, some of it, I think, at least, and this will be something that others can correct me on, but the way that the Cardinals' protections are schemed is one of the areas where it feels like there's been the biggest disconnect because it feels like there's too many times I watch a Cardinals try to rush four guys and 
don't get to the quarterback wall. It feels like Kyler Murray scrambles out of the pocket, and you're like, well, did he leave the pocket too soon? And then you suddenly look, it's like, oh, he's got a guy in his face. He's got a rusher in his face who just kind of broke right. through the middle of the offensive line. What I do want to ask is, are there limitations that you think for Kyler's game that could end up being an issue? And a lot of that, I think, comes into what we've seen with Russell Wilson this year. Mm. Russell Wilson being a guy who doesn't really target guys over the middle of the field, someone at least we've seen Kyler actually do a bit more over the middle of the field. But a lot of times they take those deep shots. They're to guys outside in one-on-one coverage. He is awesome at throwing that ball, but it's also you don't have to kind of worry about a bunch of junk in front of you. You don't have to kind of read through underneath coverage. Just the height kind of an issue for the most part is part of why I felt the Cardinals should have built kind of from the inside out and tried to be able to get strong linemen. You look at some other past quarterbacks like Russell Wilson played well there. Feels instead like Steve Kimes kind of built a little bit from the outside in, or that some of these protections are just maybe not dealing with guys as well as that they could be. And I'm curious, at least, if you think that that's something with more is that scheme of the offense, or are we kind of looking at the height of what Kyler Murray can get to, and now you kind of have to adapt to some of what his limitations could be as a passer because you know he's not necessarily a Josh Allen out there. Yeah, you you reference Russell Wilson, and and it's interesting because he represents both the upside. And what I think it seems like Steve Kime is trying to do in terms of building this offense, but he also represents the downside, right? You know, we've seen how how rough it's been in Denver, and you know, Russell is not the same, you know, scrambler that he was, um, and he, you know, he has really struggled this year. But when you look back at you know his best days with Seattle, it's interesting. Like the way they built those teams is that you know they had a really good defense, they had a good running back, and they got a bunch of converted tight ends into offensive linemen and had Tom Cable coach them up and Russell Wilson made stuff happen. And when that offensive line broke down, you know, he would scramble and he, he could make it work. Um, and it, it, you know, it feels like the Cardinals are doing that, except they don't have that elite defense. They've got the good playmakers on offense, but they've got this offensive line. That's a patchwork of, you know, aging veterans and a few guys that they've drafted themselves like TJ Humphreys. And, you know, on one hand, Kyler is a guy who can make up for that, right? He he can he can make things happen, but when you get all these penalties, false start penalties, and mm. and and holding calls, and end up in these third and longs, and then you you compound that with that shift in the defensive philosophy we've talked about this year, that is designed to take away you know those big plays, um, it just compounds it and. You know, that's probably part of the reason Kyler has been so ineffective downfield is that he's trying to make something happen on in those situations. So, you know, I, but I, you know, that's not how I, it, I, that's not how I would have built the roster if it were me, not that anyone's asking me other than you, uh, but uh, you know, um, you're right. You, you want to fix that offensive line, right? Because imagine what Kyler can do with time with, if he does that, when things break down, what could he do with good protection, um, and, you know, I think another interesting, another quarterback to look at is is Drew Brees, another shorter quarterback who didn't do it with scrambling. Now, he had an unusual release. He kind of threw from his tippy toes, which was always kind of weird. Um, but, you know, I, I and I know everyone's talking about Sean Payton, so maybe that's, you know, everyone wants him as a coach. Uh, whether you look at Sean Payton as the coach or not, maybe they should look at what the Saints did with Drew Brees and try to model that a little bit more. And they they did have good offensive lines, uh, you know, with him. So, um, yeah, it, it does feel like those those situations compound and, and 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 bad piles on bad, and then we get where we're at. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I know Breeze is actually the name I was going to bring up because I did a little bit of studying into how the Saints kind of tried to build their team around Drew Breeze, and it was fascinating because you look at early Breeze with the Chargers, and it was essentially a deep-passing play-action type of a game, similar to like how Russell Wilson did in Seattle, uh, maybe even similar to how Josh Allen has had, but the idea of turning your back to the quarterback – uh, or should be uh, turning your back as the quarterback to the defense and then coming up from that and making the read, uh, being able to sell on that play action, being able to kind of read coverage, kind of keeping that screenshot in your head even when you're looking away. That's been one of the things that's not really a part of this air raid offense that we've had. What's interesting is like there are quarterbacks who have adapted and shown they can do it, like Patrick Mahomes obviously being probably the easiest example out there, and he played under Cliff. But what's interesting is you look at how the Saints managed their team, and I think through about how crazy they were considered for trading Jimmy Graham, this huge tight end at least that Drew Brees could throw to, had incredible leaps for a center and a first-round pick. And then you all of a sudden look in the future and see how Russell Wilson and Jimmy Graham just did not really seem to work as well as it had before for one reason or another. And you wonder how much of that was schematic, where Pete Carroll is like wanting his tight ends to block and Jimmy Graham is, you know, essentially a large wide receiver you can use over the middle. But then you look at also how the Saints traded up for Eric McCoy when they did see Max Unger retire. And suddenly it starts to be like, oh, whenever they had Drew Brees, it seemed like they always at least had a stalwart center in front of him. And the fact that the Cardinals, I think, took probably about three or so years to find a Rodney Hudson. And then, you know, this year, I think they probably had two opportunities to at least find and replace with one. It just didn't end up happening to fall their way since they had other needs, I think, ranked a little bit higher. Um, but that's one of the areas, I think, at least, of being able to see some progression, at least as far as some quarterbacks are just not able to get there. Um, a Carson Wentz is an example of a guy, I think, who showed some flashes, but also showed the tendency of he would make his best plays when taking the biggest hits. Even Russell Wilson would always sometimes lead the league in sacks, but he'd make up for it with a crazy uh, deep throw as far as with either to do a Tyler Lockett to a Doug Baldwin. It'll be interesting to see because – I agree with you that when we've seen Kyler Murray have a great offensive line, we've kind of seen this Cardinals offense be able to play well and win quite a few games. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that's the key. They, they've got to figure out how to build this offensive line, and they've really struggled to do that. I, I mean, when was the last time you've been able to say Cardinals had a good offensive line? They've had decent stretches. Right, but they've never built that as a strength, mm -hmm. right? Two times, um, two times, 2015, two times. when they actually okay. were running the ball with, remember right. Chris Johnson was leading the league in rushing yards. Right. Everyone's like, this guy is like, you know, he's like a year away from retirement, came up off of like, you know, whatever squad it was. And then suddenly David Johnson takes over and you end up seeing the next two years all of a sudden. It's just like this crazy run that he goes on. And then you end up kind of seeing it back again in 2021 when the Cardinals were on that 7-0 and streak and you got to see that they were essentially teams couldn't really stop them running the ball because as soon as they would get any type of a lead or a positive play you just knew that chase edmonds was going to pick up huge yards and james connor was just going to pick up all the clutch yards or those touchdowns and it's kind of weird to think about but it's like not that i think every offense is determined by their offensive line but i think a good deal of the nfl can say that the better your offensive line is as long as you're not gonna have you know like me out there at quarterback you're probably gonna be able to perform and have an admirable season on offense yeah and even those two examples you cite are not examples of them building an offensive line long term, right? It's it's they mm -hmm. had a nice collection of some free agents that worked out. Maybe one or two guys they drafted, 
I, you know, I've been following the Cardinals since they moved to Arizona. I'm, I'm old enough to have done that. And I just don't remember ever there was a time where, like, they built this offensive line that was good for a stretch of five to seven years with guys they drafted, right? They had those those few moments where they've been successful um, with, with free agents and such. But, you know, you look at teams like the Saints that, that have drafted in those offensive linemen. The, the Steelers have, over, over the course of their history, done that. And other teams, Baltimore, you know. This Cardinals team has never really committed to building that in a conventional way, right? You know, they, maybe they draft an offensive tackle once in a while in the first round, uh, but they, they just don't commit to that in, in any sort of conventional sense. And I, I, I would like to see that become a priority, right? You know, in terms of building the offensive line, not just with guys that you get patchwork aging veterans, but literally draft yourself – you know, that stalwart, stalwart center you talked about, right, and, and and so on and so forth. So it would be nice to see them commit to that and see what Kyler could do with that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's talk a little bit with the defense because what we've seen, I think, with Arizona has been that the defense has kind of surprised people this year because it has been probably the more consistent of the units that were there. But it's also been a, kind of like the Cardinals themselves, consistently inconsistent, where you'll see mm-hmm. the Cardinals be able to force a three and out. They get the ball back. They go down, score. They're suddenly back in the lead. And you just almost kind of have that gut feeling if there's going to be some sort of a 15-play kind of drive that the defense is about to go on, whether it's dink or dunk or someone doesn't cover you know, the likes of a Justin Herbert on third down. And they'll go down and not just kind of hold them to three, but that they end up scoring in the red zone. And it's been a place where, like, right now the defense has been giving up on average about 26 points a game. And you could say that they played probably their, I guess you could say maybe most consistent game of the year. I won't say their best game because that was probably, you could say it would be the Saints game. But I would argue that the Chargers game was a bit better because they still gave up, like, 500 yards of offense to the Saints and Andy Dalton. It was just you get two pick sixes and back-to-back plays. That'll do it. Against the Chargers, they really had kind of dictated most of that game to them, were able to run the ball on a bad run defense, were able to at least get some plays. And if they had gotten any turnover luck, they probably would have won that game handily. But instead, comes down at least to a couple of plays. They make a few key mistakes on offensive and special teams. And the defense just was not good enough to be able to close that game out. Do you think this is somewhat reflective on Vance Joseph, the coach and his approach? I felt like it's been more big play, turnover friendly. Or is it maybe more on the players that you've got on this team right now? Because while Byron Murphy and Zach Allen have had good seasons, now Murphy's not out there right now. They lost a guy who's going to be a starting inside linebacker for them in Nick Vigil. And you've really had to kind of see some development. And I think for me, it comes down to your best defensive player is Buda Baker, followed by 34-year-old J.J. Watt, who's not under contract for next year. That's probably not a good place to be in if you're the Cardinals on defense. But is it really going to be all on Vance, at least, as far as for that approach? I think that Vance has done an admirable job with the situation he's been in. I don't think the personnel um, has been great across the board. He's got some great players, but... They have, we'll talk about this, I think, in a little bit, but the way they built it's been kind of weird. And, and they've invested heavily in the offense, which, you know, um, strategically, I, I don't mind that, right? The way this NFL is, you, you build on the offense and then you get a defense that's serviceable and you can win like that. Uh, but he, you know, he hasn't had, uh, you know, he's had some issues with personnel. Um, but I, I think you also add to that that with the offense stalling out the way it has, the defense has had to be on the field a lot and they're getting gassed. Hmm. 
Um, I think they've got some young players in some key positions that, you know, at edge rusher, they're playing in there that that's been an issue. But, um, you know, I think part of it too, though, is again, we talked about those shifts in the defense and, and Vance Joseph is very much not in line with those kinds of philosophies, you know, in, in a, in a league where teams are not blitzing much, um, the Cardinals have blitzed the third most in the NFL. And that's, that's a, you know, that's a characteristic of a Vance Joseph defense, um, so, you know, as a result, they are getting pressure. They're, they're third in pressure rate at 24.6, but the problem is most of that's come in the form of quarterback hurries and quarterback knockdowns or hits because only seven teams have had fewer sacks mm-hmm. than the Cardinals. So they're getting pressure, but they're not getting home on it, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I, you know, I think, I don't, you know, I don't think Vance is going to completely shift his scheme, even with, with that trend that's going on in the NFL, his trend, his scheme is so much built on pressure. Um, so I, you know, I don't think he was going to change. I think he's done an admirable job, but you know, they, they, they haven't, they haven't invested in cornerback in the way you normally would. They've got good. He's, he's gotten the most out of the cornerbacks that they've had um, on the roster the last couple of years, but they haven't invested in the position the way you normally would. Um, and they've, they've mm-hmm. struggled at edge. So, you know, I think he's done what he can with what he's had to work with, but it's, it's obviously it, it's not been consistent and it's not been good enough this year. Yeah. And it's not like the Cardinals defense. When you look at, like, I always like to look at kind of the, core statistics of where do you rank as far as yards per game as far as for how much do you give up passing how much do you give up rushing and then obviously points per game at least because that can tell you usually a lot about where teams are like a great example would be uh you know a team like the houston texans you can just say all right this team is terrible you know how i know that because they are the worst (laughs) team against the run giving up 169 (laughs) yards against the run and you think back to what was the last time that we talked about a team that would just be completely just worthless against the run the steve oaks 2018 cardinals they were (laughs) the worst in the league and even even the game against the denver broncos i said broncos are the worst rushing team in the league steve oaks defense is the worst rush defending team something's got to give and the broncos promptly blew the cardinals out you look at arizona and they've actually done decent against the run but a lot of it's because i think teams have schemed up to pass against them they're about top 10 or so in run defense which i think has been interesting when you consider that that was one of their big struggles i think a year ago but they're bottom 10 as far as versus the pass and what's interesting is you'd still think that they would at least be somewhat decent or in middle of the pack as far as for points per game that they're giving up well they rank second to last in the nfl averaging 26.8 points a game so you're saying okay, well, you've got this secondary that's lined up and making plays. Guys are passing the ball a ton of yards. They're not running it as much for the most part. It kind of seems to paint this picture, I think, ultimately of teams are basically able to pass and throw the ball on them. And if Arizona's getting pressure but not actually sacking the quarterback, then they're not really disrupting plays. And I think some of it does ultimately come down to Vance's scheme. I think when you look at, and this is some PFF talk, other guys I've talked to, they said, Vance has done an awesome job because you got like a guy who everyone said was a slot corner in Byron Murphy, a free agent in Antonio Hamilton, and right. a fourth round pick in Marco Wilson. Everyone's like, you got to take a cornerback this year. Like, what are you doing? And the corners, people have said, they've probably performed about to their level of expectation, except for Byron Murphy shutting guys down. They've not been able yeah. to have guys go off. The issue, I think, has been that they've been so solid in man coverage, but when it comes to zone coverage, either guys' eyes have been in the wrong place or the tackling hasn't been there. They're just really not good 
Uh, they're 32nd ranked in yards after the catch. The Niners just took them to town. You think of that George Kittle catch and run. Mm -hmm. Short pass play, just running all the way there. Has me thinking that the sum of Vance's defense has been built around we're going to get big sacks, we're going to get big turnovers, and we're willing to give up yards to do that. And I think that ultimately that can work when you get those turnovers. But when teams are a bit careful and know, I just feel like that his defense ultimately is a bit more flawed. And maybe the identity of that needs to change, just like how Cliff Kingsbury's approach needs to change. Yeah, you know, is there's a couple of things that I hear fans complain about. Cliff Kingsbury screens and Vance Joseph soft zones, mm. right? You know, and, and as you're talking about, so... You know, you wonder, again, he's done a good job with these, what he's had to work with, but you have to wonder if if he's just, his scheme isn't right for where, where things are in the NFL right now. Um, and, it, you know, you wonder, okay, well, what would they do with this, with the with the defensive scheme that plays more man and, and that doesn't have those, those soft zones and um, isn't so blitz heavy? Um, yeah, you have to wonder. So th this is the, the tough part because, you know, what do we do with this coaching staff? Do we give them another chance because, you know, they won enough games last year that you're like, okay, well, I mean, in a vacuum, how do you justify, you know, firing a coaching staff that improved three years in a row, at, you know, went to the playoffs for the first time and then had one bad year, right? Hmm. Um, but then you look deeper and you wonder, is there something about the philosophies that just – isn't right for this NFL. And I worry about that with Vance, more so with Cliff, but I, I think that's a valid concern. Yeah, and I think that's what gets into our next topic, at least here, where, you know, coming off of last season, you can talk about this team basically went 11 and 6 in the regular season. They started off 10 and 2. And a lot of times I feel like that every team is usually a bit different from what the year was previously. Like everyone talked about how Arizona finished strong in 2016, and when you come out in 2017, they ended up finishing strong again under Bruce Arians, but they lost enough games to start that it really was more of playing for that 7-9 and nine or being the spoiler type of season. The thing that really just stands out the most is that if you look at the last 18 games, Arizona's won essentially five games, and they've lost essentially like 13 games. So that's your last 18 games you're looking at. A 5-11 and 11 was essentially the kind of season that got Ken Wisenhunt fired. So now you look at this season for Arizona, and you have to wonder – is there enough that we've seen so far from Cliff or Vance where we can say, hey, in spite of these other places that are there, as long as they can go and win games down the stretch to get to, like, say, say they win two more games down the stretch and maybe steal one to get to three, then you're a seven-win team. Maybe you don't go as that much. You're at six wins for the most part. Is that going to be enough for them? Or is it something where you're going to have to do a lot more than that to convince me that – you know, you shouldn't just kind of bite the bullet, move on and find a different head coach and defensive coordinator who is essentially your defensive coach, given what we know about Arizona. Obviously, it depends who you ask. If you ask the fan base, it's not enough. Um, I did a poll on my YouTube channel back in October um, asking essentially what people thought about Cliff Kingsbury. And I will tell you that 57 percent of people wanted him fired no matter how he finished the season. And this was back in October. Um and, you know, there was about 30 uh, percent or so that said uh, if he makes a playoffs, he can come back. And only 12 percent that was willing to have him back with seven wins or fewer. Now, this is an unscientific study. I had about 900 or so people respond. But, um, you know, so the fan base, it's not going to be good enough. Like with the, for the fan base, if they win out, you might convince a few of them right, who weren't already on that side. But obviously the, the real question is Michael Bidwell with the investment in those contracts, which, you know, that 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 
certainly you can question whether he should have signed those long extensions uh, when he did last year. Um, so, you know, for Michael Bidwa, I, I think, you know, that number three, maybe if they pull off three more wins and show some signs of progress, I think he's going to stick with them. Uh, for me, you know, I, I lean towards thinking that they need to change, you know, because of some of the concerns and that I have with the schematic side of things. Um, but, you know, if, if they win four out of the next five games, I think you could convince me he deserves another year to see what he can do with a healthy offensive line and, and you know, fixing a few spots on defense. Um, I'm not going to be uh, leading the charge on that, but you might be able to convince me if they can, you know, and these, these games coming up, New England, Denver, Tampa Bay, Atlanta, San Francisco, are all winnable games, right? They're all teams that to various levels are struggling. Uh, um you know, so you should, if, if this team is going to show signs of life, they should be able to win three or four of those games. Uh, but, you know, if, if they only win one more game out of that, that's a concern. Yeah, I think some of it is, I've, I've said it was far as it comes to me, like it's kind of similar to fans wanting to move on from a Kyler Murray. I say, all right, your plan is to move on from a Kyler Murray. It's to whom? And so if you're going to say Colt McCoy, then there's at least a Panthers and a Niners game you can pretty much directly point at. And a lot of fans even said that last year. If, hey, Kyler Murray, he's negotiating a new deal. We shouldn't pay him. Just ship him off. Get a whole bunch of draft picks. At least he'll be good to go. And so then you come into this year and you're like, so you're telling me you would move on from Kyler Murray, at least someone because of the contract of the deal, to another short quarterback who runs around a lot in Bryce Young who's also won a Heisman so yeah. like there seems to be something that's not quite lining up there as far as it comes from for fans I've said hey if you think you need to move on from him like that sure but you're either going to be complaining because you're going to be back in a bad situation like you were before or you're going to be complaining at least because the NFL is a hard place to win like mm. even a team like the Chiefs lost to the Indianapolis Colts this year who said 55 points put up on them at least it just kind of shows that your goal is to find consistency I think as yeah. far as it comes to an investment, I feel like at least when it comes to what we've seen from Michael Bidwell and from what we know, at least of the contracts, if you said, all right, you got two people you've hired, you got a new contract extension for the next few years, it doesn't really affect your salary cap. And maybe you would have to take on $40 million or something like that. You have to pay out or something for those contracts. You're also paying Kyler Murray probably about $40 million a year. So mm -hmm. if you're taking a look at the difference between the two, it really is part of I think explains a lot of why Michael Bidwell had no issue just extending the general manager and head coach right mm -hmm. away and why it took probably a while to figure stuff out with the quarterback because they could have played some hardball at least with them. We've seen at least a team like the Ravens do the same. I just have to think at least at some point you have to kind of determine whether or not he's maybe not necessarily the guy, but is it going to be a spot where you're going to be where you're going to be comfortable with him as maybe this top 10 to 12 quarterback? Or do you see the talent that's going to kind of maybe push him with a little bit of a push and I've said that the cause for me has been more built around the general manager and I think that's one thing we can talk about mm -hmm. is the team and the way it was built to me it feels like that a lot of areas of what and how the Cardinals approach it to me it kind of I'd say makes sense from a Cardinals way but it's almost like you're talking to someone who's like drawing a picture of a dinosaur and you're like, that is clearly a rabbit. But to them, in their mind, it's a dinosaur. And they know how it's a dinosaur because of those little arms that are at the top of their head. Oh, right. Like the rabbit ears. I feel like that's been kind of with, with Steve Kime and how we've seen some of the approach, especially even with 
It's gotten closer to the Vance Joseph defense, but they've kind of modeled it off of like the Todd Bowles, Buccaneers, or even the Steelers defense that has had a very clear objective of find guys who can stop the run, and then, then you can play that man coverage across the board. But you know that teams, hey, if they're going to be throwing it on you, you're going to be getting at least a lot of pass breakups in third and long situations. It feels like he's been kind of half in, half out in a lot of ways with little bit of offense here, a little bit of defense here, goes and takes an all-you-can-eat chess piece, and Isaiah Simmons, who goes <laughs> all over the place, and then for a year they put him, you know, at will linebacker, then inside linebacker, and then finally he's actually developed into a good player, but you kind of did that because, oh, we already had a number one wide receiver in DeAndre Hopkins. We don't need to draft check, another CD Lamb pretty high up here. I think that Can lack of identity check? has really been part of where Arizona's not been a team that's ever had that much of an identity to know almost what they need to build and look for. Yeah. You know, the way Steve Kime has built this team, is just weird. And and people outside of Arizona say that too. You know, there's this conventional wisdom about how you build a roster and positions you invest in early in the draft and, and positions you pay. And then positions that, you know, based on opportunity costs, you don't spend a lot of draft capital on because you can find them later. You know, and, and usually you want to build around those pillars, you know, uh, left tackle, wide receiver, cornerback, edge rusher, you know, and then then from there, you know, get solidify your offensive line. Uh, but like this team, you know, has built around safeties and linebackers. And as much as I love their safeties, like uh, Buda Baker, I mean, how can you not love Buda Baker, Jalen Thompson? But so many off-ball linebackers that they've drafted in the first round. And then they draft an edge rusher and turn him into an off-ball linebacker and botch the early part of his career in, in Hassan Reddick when he's ended up being a pretty decent edge rusher. So it's just weird. Like, you know, team positions that they should be building on early, cornerback. We You talked about that, right? They, You know, Byron Murphy, top of the second round, for all intents and purposes, you can say is roughly a first-round talent. But aside from that... You know, you know Antonio Hamilton, who's played great, but he was, you know, uh, signed after he was cut from Tampa Bay. You know, seventh-round pick Christian Matthew, fourth-round pick, you know, and Marco Wilson. It's just a weird way to build, you know, to not invest in cornerback. Yeah, you got DJ Humphreys late in the first round, but, like, what kind of investment in the offensive line meaningful have you seen, you know, aside from that uh, in the draft? Um, you know, edge rushers, they went with, you know, they traded for Chandler Jones, but – you know, they drafted Marcus Golden a few years back. You know, he, he's been a, a decent player. But, um, yeah, you just don't see that investment in the conventional kind of pillars of how you build a roster. And then middle linebackers, that's just not a position you typically take in the first round. And if you do, maybe you get a Luke Keekley kind of a guy, you know, once. But back-to-back, it's just – it's a weird way to build a roster. And I think that's part of why they've had some struggles with this team. Yeah, well, in, in 2020, I remember specifically having multiple arguments I got into online with people, specifically about Isaiah Simmons, because a lot of people knew the Cardinals loved him. If he's there, they're going to take him or Derek Brown. And Derek Brown has at least done well as far as we've seen him kind of be able to progress the same with Isaiah Simmons. But my argument entirely that year was, all right, you're talking about a guy who was essentially honey badger in college. And you're saying we can move him into this inside linebacker role just like we moved Hassan Reddick into that role. Right. So I said, I think that the issue is that you still need a linebacker because you're drafting a safety in this round, guys. Like, that's the key. And you've got a Buda Baker, and you already had Jalen Thompson hit from a year ago. And we've seen at least now that the Cardinals have kind of put Isaiah into some more slot corner. You can put them into, you know, even play it a little bit of edge rusher, blitzing guys up the middle. Like, you kind of realize that, yeah, they finally found the right fit for him, and he was 
able to adjust to that level. But it was just the idea of, all right, we got our inside linebacker here. We've got Jordan Hicks here. And then suddenly realizing, oh, this is not a guy you want necessarily to be stopping the run or covering tight ends, at least with Jordan Hicks. So you got to get another inside linebacker. And I remember at least just coming out, Zayvon Collins, people were saying, is he an edge rusher? Is he a Mike? I thought he was a great Mike backer. But looking mm-hmm. at the team, I said, hey, you traded for DeAndre Hopkins. You passed on a C.E. Lamb. You're probably going to need to get another wide receiver. And even though they did get a Rondale Moore, you can kind of tell he's probably a guy that has just really could be your upside wide receiver too. But as far as when it comes to health or availability or other issues, it's like you will need to kind of have that big outside guy. And, of course, this is after the team passes on, you know, an A.J. Brown, a D.K. Metcalf, because I think they really did want to rebuild that Oklahoma offense. I think you look at the C.D. Lamb outside, the Marquise Hollywood Brown being the deep threat. You can kind of see the Hakeem Butler and Andy Isabella comparisons. It's just they weren't anywhere near those level of players. They finally kind of get some of that this year, but it's – Almost like, all right, it's 2022, you have Hopkins out for a bunch of games. You kind of needed this year to almost know what exactly is the offense going to be. So you're like, you basically flood the offense with players to make sure that if guys get hurt, we've got depth. And you still saw guys get hurt. And I think a lot of that has fundamentally been kind of that the Cardinals have wanted to, you know, in a way or so kind of get on the same page for a lot of areas of that approach but i think it's been more of they've been trying to find that approach i think what you really need is an actual vision of this is going to be the approach and i think for some of that we've seen at least trying to find guys that are talented like that but on the other hand we have seen them not adapt quickly enough to just finding guys who are talented and being able to build their team around it so in that case you kind of get neither. You get neither the talent nor being able to have that identity, and that's kind of why I think the Cardinals are where they are this year. Yeah, and I, I think you hit on a great point. They don't really have this vision for roster building. You know, Steve Kime talks about taking the best player available in the draft, and then you use free agency to kind of patch those holes. But then, you know, they've missed on so many of those players or played them out of position. And, you know, then, you know, you're drafting players who, you know, coming out of college, like Trey McBride, you know, was – seen by most people as the best tight end in the draft i know he struggled but from a roster building perspective you look at it you know they just signed zach Ertz. it didn't make sense and you know you think well maybe they should have traded up a little bit and you know uh got cam jurgens or or obviously you know linderbaum was the guy that you wanted to take or or address that a few years ago um then, but then you look at a team like i you know i'm a huge fan of how the ravens do it right they, they build a good team they draft uh, positions with good value in the right spot. They build a good team and they still kind of end up taking the best player available, but it works for them because they have this kind of vision, good offensive line, good defense, good running game, a few receivers, good tight ends, right? They have a plan. They have a vision. And and you just don't see that with the Cardinals. So you have like Steve Kime trying to be the smartest guy in the room without a plan for how to do that. And, and it just hasn't. Worked. I think it's it's not even. I don't think that they haven't had a plan. Like I think that was the plan mm. was find your mm. Hollywood type, find your CD Lamb type, and it's like what could be closer to a CD Lamb than a DeAndre Hopkins? <laughs> okay, you ended yeah. up getting a trade for. And what's closer to Hollywood Brown than actually Hollywood Brown? <laughs> it's like I think that that's been kind of some of the plan we've seen. Mm. But maybe as far as for fitting that identity and how places are, it just feels like that a lot of what also is a huge part of that Oklahoma team was that they had very good offensive linemen who essentially were seeing guys rush three players at a time, and the running plays that they had, for the most part, always had very dynamic running backs. And I think that's one of the areas of 
it's kind of a weird way to say, but you'd think that these premium positions like, you know, the left tackle, these kind of shut down mm-hmm. cornerbacks, these top wide receivers, it's like the Cardinals have gotten a lot of those guys. They've even got their quarterback. The issue has been like their defensive tackle and the nose tackle has been inconsistent with the health, even with Richard Lawrence looking good, just not being healthy. The right. offensive interior hasn't quite been there. And then I would even say with the running backs, you see without Eno Benjamin and without James Conner in there, it's like they were really ultimately like dependent on having one of those two guys be able to go in for the season. If James misses time, like poor Keontae Ingram is like one of those guys you can tell, like I'm glad for where he'll be in 2023, but in 2022, mm-hmm. you look at other teams having a Dalvin Cook or being able to have a much more dynamic run game. Going back to the Ravens, like you know kind of what they're going to go after. They've got an identity that has Justin mm-hmm. Tucker, a really talented kicker, and they go and throw the ball to tight ends. They at least are able to get big plays to some of their wide receivers. They just haven't been really healthy. And you know that defensively, they've even had to adapt. They let go of Wink Martindale, the guy who, you know, third down and seven, the game is on the line. He is going to blitz the heck out of his quarterback and play man coverage across the side. And you're going to see the quarterback just take a quick slant route over the middle to probably pick up the first down. Like that's kind of that commitment that you're able to see as far as identity. I think sometimes you have to be able to adapt enough to change your identity. And I just don't know if Vance and Cliff are able to change their identity quite enough. Um, And it's going to be really interesting to see at least if they are retained for next year, just how they'll adapt because they're going to have to retool just the entirety of their offensive and defensive lines. And there's not like that they've got the same amount of picks as a Philly to be able to do something like that. Yeah. I mean, those, and those are the two spots that they absolutely have to address that offensive line. And so many things are built on that. And, and you're right, you know, they are so scheme specific and so unique in their schemes compared to, you know, what is common in the NFL these days. So you wonder about that. Um, yeah, it's, it's, that is the big question. Are they going to be back? Are they going to have that chance? Um, and it's going to have to start though with fixing those lines on both sides. Yeah, and I, I feel like the at least gut feeling for right now is I can go with and I'll be happy to be wrong this. We can talk about some of our predictions for the next game in the future, but it feels like that the Cardinals, if you're looking at some of how things have worked out, they kind of got a lucky win against the Raiders. That kind of same thing shifted back against the Chargers. The question is going to be, is this more of a five-win team that you look at where they're only going to kind of win one more game, or is this more of like a six- or seven-win team where they're probably going to go out and be able to play well against a team like, say, the Broncos? Maybe you're able to take on a Patriots team and a Mac Jones be able to kind of get a close win. Or is this going to be kind of one of those disastrous approaches where we've talked about Cliff Kingsbury's second halves and he's really struggled in the second half. You're kind of asking him to do something that he really hasn't done before. Yeah, I, I think they're going to go. They're going to win somewhere between two and three games as we go down the stretch. I, you know, and that, and that's part because it's a really easy stretch. You know, when you look at those teams, um, and you're right because you know that that second half that's the notorious stat that everyone talks about going back to Texas Tech right down the stretch, and so Cliff is going to have to you know show uh, that he he can overcome that right and and may you know maybe that might in Michael Bidwell's eyes if if he can finish strong and show that he can finish strong. That might be enough to save his job with Michael Bidwell. Uh, even though the season's been a disaster, you know, they he might chalk it up to the injuries. Uh, but, you know, um, yeah, I think I think we're looking at probably two to three more wins uh, as we go down the stretch. Yeah, and that'll be interesting because when you look at their schedule – 
The biggest thing that stood out to me was, and I kind of tried to weight things a bit differently, like here's how good your offense is, here's how good their defense is, here's how good your defense is and their offense. And the Cardinals have been one of the most points surrendering defenses in the league. Mm. Their offense has been kind of average, but they play a defensive set of, like almost a defensive stronghold set for the rest of the year. They play the New England Patriots here on Monday Night Football in a home game, which normally you would say, oh, home game is good, but Cardinals last few years (laughs) struggled for that. You're going up against Bill Belichick, who was able to beat you with bad Cam Newton a year ago. You end up seeing at least the Broncos, who've had probably the second best defense in the league. And then you're like, all right, well, their offense has been trash. Well, Cardinals defense has given up a lot of points. Something's got to break there. It's going to be outside in Denver. And you kind of finish up with Tom Brady and the Buccaneers, who've also had maybe a top three to five defense. You kind of only get some respite with the Falcons in week 17, who have actually been a very solid offense that maybe gets a rookie quarterback at some point soon. Um, they're, we'll see if they're still even fighting for a playoff game. And then, of course, you finish against the 49ers in a game that, this is going to be very interesting to find out how it works for seeding for the playoffs with Jimmy Garoppolo being out for the year. Originally I thought Cardinals, they could maybe beat the Broncos if we can get something right. And then you can steal one from the Niners at the end of the season. Now it's just looks totally different for the most part. And that may be a game that the Niners will have to play pretty hard for. Do you think at least if the Cardinals end up being in a spot where they're able to say maybe win one or two games, but the defenses, at least for me, I think, I just feel like it's going to be very difficult for Cliff Kingsbury to prove that he can be able to bring the team back because if he can go and find and develop an offense through all those teams, that will almost secure it. It's just we haven't seen that up to this point, especially with how bad the Chargers defense was and you only were able to put up 24 points on the board. It just kind of feels like you're almost watching unraveling happen in real time and you kind of can see at least the storm on the horizon, at least from what I think. Yeah, and you make a great point about those defenses. And I, I'm I'm planning to go to the Atlanta game actually. I live here in Georgia, so that'll be fun. Awesome. And you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, you know, this this is the really going to be the test for Cliff if he can put down put together some offense. I mean, coming out, you know, obviously, you know, Bill Belichick. Like I, I'm just the game where he against Buffalo where they just ran and threw what two passes, right? They're just mm. like only Bill Belichick. So. If they can, if they can manage to to win, put up some offense against these defenses, I think you make a great point that, you know, that shows that that maybe something's coming together, and you know, and and there's something to be excited about seeing, you know, Hollywood Brown, DeAndre Hopkins, and Rondell Moore. That offense, they just haven't had them all together. Um, but if Cliff can showcase what that offense can look like hmm. in this stretch, um, I, I think that 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 will go a lot long way with Michael Bidwell. I don't know if fan, if he's redeemable in the eyes of most fans. Um, but yeah, this, this is this, that I, I think it's interesting because at a surface level, you look at that and if they win three or four games out of that at the surface level, you say it's, you know, too little too late. But when you dig deeper, as you, as, as you know, with how good some of those defenses are and with Cliff Kingsbury's, uh, you know, struggles late in the season, you know, Maybe that we should take a little more consideration of that if he manages to uh, finish strong in that stretch. Yeah. And I, I just, it's hard to see at least. I mean, 
team yeah. can't win a home game. And so I think that if you end up seeing the team lose out at home for this year, for the most part, they do play, obviously, at least uh, the Niners on the road because they gave up a home game for that this year. You get the Pats and the Bucks at home. Like, it's Belichick and Brady. I think that you probably have to take one of those two games because otherwise you're going to have one single home win in like since week seven of 2021. That's going to be a really tough sell, I think. Even if you're able to say, hey, we beat the Falcons, we beat the Broncos, you got to at least some point be able to pull up and win games at home because you're going to have an unhappy fan base. Um, I think that it is going to be end up in one of those spots where it could turn into at least a rebuild type of scenario. And I do think that Steve Keim, either he would end up being moving to a different spot just because we've seen NFL coaches have wanted to have kind of their guy who's a general manager. Cliff was a guy that was willing to take the job and work under Steve because he didn't have any cachet to ask for a different guy. Let's put ourselves in the seat. Let's say that the season's ended. We are now at least the co-GMs of the Arizona Cardinals for that one. I'm talking to you, my co-GM. All right. How are you going to rebuild this organization, at least for the most part? Let's say we've cleaned a lot of the house. We know we've got free agents we got to figure out and re-sign. What would you help and start with rebuilding, starting from you know personnel hires, coaching hires as best as you can, before we get into like draft picks and other signings right. like that? Now, and I, as an aside, I did a video on this actually last week, so I've kind of gone through all this in sort of plug. a deep dive. Yeah, perfect plug, right? Thank you. Uh, so, yeah, so – Assuming we're cleaning house in terms of the GM and, and you know, the, the coach GMs are kind of tricky because like with, with coaches, you can see who are the offensive coordinators who, whose team, their units are playing well out there with the GM. It's like, we just don't see those guys, right. Or the, I should say the executives behind the scenes, right. It's hard to judge those guys um, in terms of who's that next up and coming person. You maybe look for someone from an organization. Uh, I, I've kind of taken the easy way out. That I'm saying let's let's give Adrian Wilson a shot. He's you know he's worked his way up. Uh, you know he's a former player uh, with with the organization. Um, if if someone had someone else they wanted to bring in from an organization like Baltimore or, or Pittsburgh, I wouldn't I wouldn't argue against that. But um, for me, you know, I probably start with uh, with Adrian Wilson. But the coaches is where I, I, I think there's more of a conversation to be had or more things to look at. And mm. there's a couple of names I've kind of highlighted. I know everyone's talking Sean Payton, but I'm leery of the draft compensation you're going to have to trade for him. I know he's a great coach. Um, but D'Amico Ryans, you know, if you want to go in a defensive uh, direction, is, is a guy with San Francisco who's done a great job, up-and-coming coach. Um, that's that's a guy I would look at. And then uh, Shane Steichen, from, uh, the offensive coordinator from Philadelphia. To me, that's the guy I really want to look at because, you look, he's built an offense around a quarterback with slim, similar traits to Kyler Murray, who's played in similar college systems, and you see how efficient that offense has been. So I would love to see what he could do building a, an offense uh, for Kyler Murray. So, what, what, so co-GM. Uh, what would you do in terms of these 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 front office positions? That's good. I think that Ryan's is a guy that would be an interesting type of a hire, and that would be probably the guy I would want to look at the most outside of maybe a Dan Quinn type, because you at least have a solid confirmed identity of we're going to be basically building around what your strengths are, which is going to be you're going to have to have a top tier linebacker. And you're going to be able to have a top tier pass rush as far as the defensive line. And then your cornerbacks, at least for the most part, are going to be in position to be able to maybe not necessarily make plays. But you know at least that your identity is going to be locking teams down defensively, getting after the quarterback, being able to put pressure there. I think that's one of the guys I look at. The guy I'm at least like, I don't think I'd say wary of, but... 
when I look at Shane Steichen and look at the Eagles, I think that the mm. one big difference between them and the Cardinals, the first one is he's running Jalen Hurts a ton. Like mm. Hurts is one of those guys who is known for his not just mobility, but for running. And I talked to some Eagles fans who said, all right, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts. And it was like, <laughs> without question, we'll take Kyler and that talent like over Hurts because even though Hurts has been incredible this year, you can also look at that team and go, they've got a second round pick who's at least playing better mm. in a Miles Sanders. They've got the best offensive line in the NFL. Like, they drafted Cam Jurgens this year and said, well, we don't even play. we got all pro Jason Kelsey is going to be there. You'll just basically be the guy who's there. They had all sorts of picks from the Carson Wentz trade to go and get a defensive lineman. And you look at how that trade for A.J. Brown essentially to pair with Devonta Smith, like it turns into a place where suddenly you can kind of see similarities to how the Cardinals team was built with one exception. They built the offensive line first. And then they added the talented playmakers after that. I think that's what Steve Kime thought he was working toward. And I think it just aged out for the most part. They just didn't have as much emphasis. I do wonder if Steichen's going to end up being the guy that's pursued by like a Carolina or mm. whatever happens with the Texans to kind of say, look at a Bryce Young, a CJ Stroud. You could look at a Jalen Hurts. That's the kind of guy you can develop. But it wouldn't shock me if he ends up turning into a little bit of a Matt Nagy type or whatever quarterback he gets. Like, He's going to be maybe more dependent on some of the talent around versus being kind of that true gem that just kind of steps into a place and suddenly just takes off and is able to accelerate Um, because every coach to some degree is kind of a victim of some other talent. I do think at least that one of the places that I've looked at that would be maybe a surprise to some is looking at some of the guys in the Saints organization, at least depending on what happens for them, because you may at least be able to say, like, man, they just looked lost without Sean Payton. Well, I think a lot of that has been more on the salary cap and general management side of things because you talk about the team that said, we're going to trade and go all in for an offensive tackle and for uh, the likes of a wide receiver. And the wide receiver has been great, but, like, their team ultimately is just not up to par with the quarterbacking. They still have been able to get offense going. Like, they put up 500 yards still on the Cardinals. You kind of see, though, that they've kind of put themselves into a similar Rams position of they're good, but they still have some issues and flaws. But you can kind of see at least that they at least have a culture and a foundation, and they've at least been, while they've been a pretty bad team overall this year, you can kind of at least see that they've been trying to kind of carry on some of what Sean Payton's been doing without Sean Payton. I think that that would be one of the places I'd look. I'd look there over like a Kellen Moore or even mm-hmm. looking at an Eric Bieniemy, who, you know, a lot of people have questioned how much of it is with him and how much of it is kind of you're putting like the weight and expectations of Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid onto a guy who's not Pat Mahomes or Andy Reid. So I think that I look at some of those and some of the hot names. And what I kind of came to the conclusion of was unless you think you've got like lightning in a bottle with like a Mike Kafka or someone you think is going to be like that next Sean McVay who lands that like stud defensive coordinator i would say you almost might be better off just keeping king kingsbury and kime at least for another year because a lot of the other teams that are out there like it's going to be a very desirable position i just think i don't know if you have to be able to make like a move to say this is bad we have to push it out completely i think the exception is if you can lure like a talented coach like a sean payton or some have mentioned a jim harbaugh then that's an upgrade that's kind of like your josh rosen to kyler murray type of situation yeah, and you know, I think there, there's a, an important point in there. When you look at our, our recent hirings, the Cardinals have always kind of, for the last three coaching hires, they have not had like the pick of the litter, so to speak, right? Yeah. You know, some people forget, you know, for as as good as the Bruce Arians era was, he was like one of the last coaches, if not the last coach, hired. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, and it, there were some things I think maybe because he had been around for a while and hadn't gotten a head coaching gig, even though he had 
performed so well with, with the Colts there uh, on that, uh, you know, interim basis. Um, you know, I think he was people weren't as high on him as some of the other hot coaching candidates. So we ended up lucking into, you know, a really good coach. Um, but, you know, Kingsbury, you know, some pe- people say, you know, he, he was kind of the best guy we could get at the time is kind of the argument. So you 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 do wonder and worry with all the dysfunction that we've seen, whether it's fair or not, uh, our coach is wanting to come here, you know, mm-hmm. um, and whether the, the criticisms of Kyler are fair or not, uh, there's a perception of him, whether, you know, I may not fully agree with that, the fairness of that, but is that going to make it hard to get the coach we want? So are we better to give Cliff another shot, at least for one more year? <laughs> you know, so that, that, that's a fair question you raised there. Um, and, you know, and maybe, maybe, Neil, going with the defensive-minded head coach, building that that clear uh, vision, and then you know bringing in a conventional uh, offensive coordinator to get a conventional NFL offense and building offensive line, you know you can you can get enough offense out of Kyler with a good offensive line, even if you don't have that as the identity of your football team with a good defense. I, you can you could certainly be very competitive that way if you get it right. Yeah. I think as far as just for some other names around, like one of the interesting ones that people brought up at one point was a Byron Leftwich type of a hire, considering that there'd be a very big cultural thing. And it might seem to fit well with Adrian Wilson, given that was the guy that he seemed to tap as his GM. But their offense has stumbled this year. There have been other questions about it. It feels like that it's also a spot of you're hiring a guy who's like a 40 year old coach, former quarterback. There's a little bit of where teams try to do almost (sighs) the opposite of what they've had, because usually something isn't working. I feel like at least this is the spot where, hey, you've got talent that people can see. It's not going to be, I think, that hard of a rebuild if you're talking about for Arizona. You can at least see that the change in approach and adapting may end up actually like making them one of the more desirable jobs. Do you think that that's something at least with – you've talked about Adrian Wilson at GM. I have another theory for Ada, but I want to hear okay. a little bit first about Byron and uh, Leftwich. You know, I, I, th- I mean, obviously Byron had been an assistant coach here, so there's familiarity. Um, and you're right, you know, the down year, if, you know, if Baltimore came, or I'm sorry, Tampa Bay came out and had a good year after, you know, the retirement of Bruce Arians, uh, I think Leftwich would have been arguably the number one name on everyone's list, mm. you know, playing, a, coaching with Tom Brady, keeping that offensive go- going, you know, with a defensive-minded head coach, but they've sputtered and that that's really hurt his, his, his kind of clout in terms as a candidate, <laughs> you know, and sadly uh, maybe that's what allows us to have it. You know, maybe he becomes uh, the candidate here because, you know, he, he's not as hot of a name right now. Um, and, you know, I could see that working. You know, I, I, again, the, at the same time, the fact that the offense has struggled this year with, with a Tom Brady at quarterback, you and there's a 45-year-old Tom Brady at quarterback moving off big divorce dad energy true. there. So, like, okay, he's the most relatable true. I think he's ever been. He's like, I got duped by all these, like, you know, <laughs> online Ethereum or, like, stuff at least. Like, all these people, like, bought GameStop or whatever it was. And it's just, yeah, like, he's more relatable, I think, than ever before. But, yeah, continue. You know, I've never felt sorry for Tom Brady, and I still haven't yet, but I'm closer. You know, uh, that's as close as I've ever come. Uh, but you know, so you know, that, that's interesting. You know, you know, I maybe I'm not as high on on Leftwich right now because because we didn't see more out of him. You wonder how much what of that was Arians, you know. Um, but 
you know, again, we, we might not have better options if we move on from Cliff. Yeah, I think at least for what I've seen for the most part with Adrian Wilson for some strategy, what I've talked about is it feels kind of like you, you would be having to pursue someone who's kind of big enough for wanting to take on this job, and then maybe you could have to settle because that's what Arizona's done. What I feel like would be an interesting approach, though, with Michael Bidwell would be, let's say that you want to actually sell a coach that you're going to take a step back from some areas. You're going to let the coach do their thing, kind of give them maybe some of the similar authority Bruce Arians had and kind of split a little bit more of those duties. Because I think Bruce came in and Steve and Michael just knew to kind of take a step back because that was kind of the guy. I said, what if you took an Adrian Wilson but said, hey, we're going to say that we can have whatever GM this head coach wants, but we can still keep A-Dub around because he'll be our team president now. You kind of do that James Jones promotion. Adrian Wilson is involved with team-making decisions. He gets to learn more areas of the team. That also means you don't lose him as like another GM to a different team. You're able to keep him as a lifetime cardinal, give him more responsibility. He's kind of then the guy that you can say, what's some of your vision for the team? We'll bring in a veteran head coach, and then you can at least be able to learn from him while you're being brought on, while we also respect and trust what you've done for the most part. I think that that would seem to make a lot of sense. Um, the other one that's been interesting is it's been trying to figure out who would be kind of the OC that you'd look at for someone like a Dan Quinn or seeming like what type of a guy who's respected. Maybe, you know, something happens at least where he ends up back with the Broncos or maybe it ends up being a totally different situation. But the name that I've liked a lot that people have not really considered has been a Shane Waldron. He's the guy who's the offensive coordinator for the Seattle Seahawks. You say, all right, well, what has Shane Waldron actually really done? You take a look back at his track record, and he worked for the New England Patriots, spent time under Bill Belichick from 2002 to 2004, so he got to see those Tom Brady teams. Gone some time in college for the most part, has coached pretty much every position, and he started with the Washington Commanders in that last year underneath Sean McVay, stuck with Sean McVay as the tight ends coach, passing game coordinator. You've also have seen how Kevin O'Connell went from an OC. He's like, oh, he's not that much. He's just, you know, the next kind of McVay guy. To suddenly the Vikings are actually looking good on offense with a solid scheme that's favorable to Justin Jefferson and Kirk Cousins. He then moves right. at least to the Seahawks, and you see, like, everyone talked about letting Russ cook. They move on from Brian Schottenheimer. He comes in. You've actually been able to see at least a lot of struggles with Russell Wilson and difficulty in adapting, but they also help Geno Smith look into a capable quarterback. I think the downside is maybe that scheme is just not something that's able to fit the likes of a Kyler Murray. But I think if you're talking about wanting to get a head coach and let's say that you get shut out from like the Dan Quinns of the world or the Sean Payton's mm-hmm. of the world and you kind of have to kind of bring in a coach, at least you can bring in a coach who maybe can poach a couple of other guys from a lot of those different teams and other connections and see if you're able to also deal a blow to the Seattle Seahawks who are within your division as well. Yeah, I like that. Um, you know, and when you're having, again, if, if you're not going to be able to get the pick up the litter, if you're going to have to kind of look that next level, that's kind of the kind of people you have to look for. Right. And um, we'll see. He's I'm sure he's going to get a lot of interviews. Um, but, yeah, I, 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 I and I really like what you have there in terms of a, an idea for Adrian Wilson, because if you have if you had a situation like that, um, you know, then at some point down the road, he could end up being the true general manager, but he's still in a position that's high enough that you might be able to keep him around and, and give him a chance, you know, to kind of get some more experience and, uh, you know, he's, and allow him to be that lifetime Cardinal. So I, I, 
I like it. I think you've got some good ideas there. Yeah. People should listen oh, to you. Well, um, you can just preach into the <laughs> choir here, brother. No, appreciate that. Uh, let's talk about the last thing, at least here, before we head out today, which is yeah. the Sean Payton talk, because it's come up a lot. People have looked at the Chargers. I've also said that I could see another maybe worst case scenario could be that he ends up going to a team like the Rams. But I've cooled on that a lot since you've looked at the Rams and really that's going to be a rebuild job that I could see that being one of those cases of maybe they end up just bringing in someone who's similar to a Sean McVay, keeping some of that going, or it just ends up being a total retool. Suddenly a defensive guys in there, you know, they're going to be probably a bad team next year. Um, I've said that maybe if you're going to be looking for a quarterback, look for one next year. This year is going to be decent, but not probably as great as people are thinking. Or you get kind of a guy who you say, hey, he could be the next Josh Allen. And uh, I don't know if that's going to ever happen again. But I think that's the question, at least, is this feels like it's almost too perfect of a match. You get a guy who could help fix the offense, who's got connections and is established around the league gets to come into a division where he doesn't have to go up against a Patrick Mahomes two times a year. I think then it comes down to a Justin Herbert. Is he going to be able to see the Chargers get to the playoffs? They barely beat the Cardinals, kind of get routed. It just not looked like a great team. You get to be able to work out of L.A. with that new stadium. It's one of those spots where it almost kind of feels like that Sean Payton would almost be like maybe bailing the Cardinals out a little bit for the most part, just like how the Chargers seemingly would need to be bailed out from some of the decisions that they've made while they've both had a quarterback who's been pretty dynamic in his first couple years in the league. It's been very similar situations. That's why it's going to be very Mm -hmm. interesting. I think if both teams are looking to kind of court the head coach, just if he'll take on any of those jobs. You know, I I mean, I think Sean McVay is going to be with the Rams for a long time. I, I just, I think he's done enough and earned enough, uh, respect in terms of you know how everyone's looking for the next Sean McVay and he's won a championship. Yes, this is a bad year. Um, I think they're going to stick with him through whatever rebuild that they need to do. So I, I just don't think the Rams are going to be in the picture. Well, I don't think they're going to fire you know, the him, ch- though. I think it would have to be him yeah. till pulling a Sean Payton. Mm. Because if you look at Sean Payton, what happened? Hey, Drew Brees is retired. And it's like, all right, we kind of got Jameis there. Bye-bye. And then all of a sudden you're like, we got like no picks. We're in cap hell. <laughs> we have all mm. of these other problems of guys who've retired. Aaron Donald, I think, is a huge part of it. They both talked about retirement. I've kind of had the gut feeling that Mm. if Stafford and Donald are back, Sean McVay will be there, too. If Stafford and Donald leave, if I'm Sean McVay, I could go to a TV job for a couple of years, wait around for a team that basically Mm. is waiting for that exact perfect opportunity, and then just dive right in there to be able to grab the next $10 million a year plus contract that you have. I feel like it would be more of McVay stepping away from the Rams, which... You know, it's kind of some of the gotcha. problem he's made versus I don't think the Rams are moving on from a Sean McVay. I completely agree with you there. Yeah. I think it'd be more of McVay just basically being like mm. the pulling a he'd, he'd be like the Johnny Depp, at least in the beginning <laughs> yeah. of Pirates of the Caribbean. He's riding that sinking ship down and then Sean McVay just steps off to the TV broadcast <laughs> gig and you see the sunken Rams team that's just sitting there in the division. Right. Cardinals are in a way better spot, I think, for some of that, which is great if you're going to lure Sean Payton it's just the Rams are one of those places I think where that could at least be a Mm. spot of you may have a new coach you're competing with in your own division and that's going to make things I think a little bit more complicated that's interesting I I mean I think that's that that's a possibility I I think he's going to stick around there's something about being in LA I've leaned that way a little too but it's still a possibility I saw that was like oh like imagine if it's like we're going to get Sean Payton then Sean Payton's like I'm going to the Rams and fans would just be losing their minds (laughs) right right oh man the Cardinals fans uh, yeah I don't think they could handle that um so 
yeah, I, 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 it's an interesting theory about about McVay. I think he's going to stick around, enjoy the glam and the glitz of the big market, and and all the money that they're going to the Cronkies are going to throw at him forever, uh, and 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 you know he's going to own that town. Uh, but it's interesting, you know, with uh, with the Chargers, do they move on from Saley? You know, I. That's because like there's been enough promise there with with a good young quarterback, but still disappointment that they're on that in between. Do they give him another year, um, you know, or do they move on, you know? And does does the the availability of Sean Payton end up, you know, pushing tilting that for them? Um, I think if you're Sean Payton, that's probably a more attractive place to go with a more conventional quarterback in in the LA market. Um, so that that's that's an interesting tough one there um i i you know going into feelings and theories i've just always had this feeling that sean payton is eventually going to be coaching the dallas cowboys Mm. i know they're playing better right now so people who have moved off of the idea that they're going to fire you know their head coach but you know he 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 coached there before they would have all the money, you know, Jerry Jones would throw all the money in the world at him and he would be the head coach of, you know, the storied franchise in the NFL as much as I despise the Dallas Cowboys. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, the, to me, again, the big thing with that is the draft compensation. And then you look at it, like Sean Payton is going to command a huge co- uh, coach's salary. And, you know, Michael Bidwell the Cardinals ownership team is not bankrolled by some other corporation like the Rams. They don't have that endless supply of cash to do that. Um, so I, I, you know, w- would bring him in, turn this franchise around possibly, you know, uh, maybe even probably it's that new stadium money. That's had a huge impact. I'm right. sorry, I like to cut you off there, but like, yeah, no, you're one right. thing we saw with the Rams is they were like, yeah. sure, we can go ahead and extend everybody. I think what's funny is the chargers have been the ones who like people were saying, they're probably not committing as much as they could. They just moved to the new stadium and are just kind of on the coattails of Kroenke. They've had some of the same issues, at least from an ownership level. But it makes me also wonder if you haven't won that much and Sean Payton's in your building, like if you're going to not really listen or respect some of that, if you're a Michael Bidwell or, you know, a Spanos, then you're kind of probably then going to be a, such a huge issue. I would think that I would be having people bending over backwards to be able to at least keep one of those coaches around as long as I was able to draw them there, which, you know, I, th- I think one of the areas, I think the Cardinals would have been more than willing to do that for Mike McCarthy. It's just like you said, Mike McCarthy could go to Dallas or go to Arizona. Right. You're going to go to Dallas, I think, at least if you're him. And so it's going to be very interesting to figure out what goes on, especially with, I think, this Brandon Staley, Cliff Kingsbury type of level here. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And that unfortunately, it's stuff regardless of what I might want in terms of trading or not trading draft picks for a coach. We might not have the opportunity to do that, you know, because uh, we're, we are not the prettiest girl at the at the prom or whatever you want to call it. Right. You know, uh, we are we're not going to get that. Uh, we're not going to win over some place like L.A. Or, or some of the other places that might be competing. So that's fair. Yeah, which we'll see at least how that goes, too. Like, the thing that's crazy is how similar they are. Like, you've got Herbert, and you can see how the line has been an issue for both. They still have a young offensive tackle. You can still see at least they've got some older pass rushers, some good secondary pieces. Like, basically, the biggest difference is, you know, the Chargers have Austin Eckler, and Cardinals have James Conner. And you're like, other than that, like, they both have the kind of two weapons with Hollywood and Hopkins, like, Keenan Allen there's there's really interesting at least to be able to see just how those teams are essentially so similar so it really is going to come down to 
which quarterback do you like? Which owner do you mm-hmm. like? And I think that's going to be a big thing, at least. And we'll find out. The thing I've at least said to a lot of Cardinals fans is one way or the other, at least, I think at some point you're going to see at least this team be able to have to make some sort of correction or some sort of change. And maybe it's going to be a little bit overdue from some of where it's been. But that's one thing I think we've learned about Michael Bidwell is that when things are bad, he at least is willing to look in the mirror and mm-hmm. be able to make a change. When things are good, it's like any team. You want to kind of keep, you know, uh, betting the chips in and everything thing else like that you know you keep yeah sure hit me again at least in blackjack right. oh that was not a good one i shouldn't have uh shouldn't have done that but we'll see i think it's just one of those also areas of if you can find that top head coach you look at how even cardinals fans have viewed bruce arians and others if you can get what guy who's able to come in i think it'd be such a tremendous lift to a lot of people in the fan base for the most part and for that matter, it's going to be just some one of those things of it's really going to come down to ultimately the Cardinals are going to have to put all the pieces in place. It's going to be up to their playmakers and the likes of Kyler Murray to have to put it all together. And we'll see how that turns out with the uh, offseason. Uh, last question. Draft picks. Cardinals right now are picking eighth in the NFL draft. I think the yeah. highest they're going to pick they need to get lucky would be fifth. I think the more likely round about sixth or seventh. There's a good chance if they win two or three games, though, they're going to be picking in the top ten, but probably number nine or number 10 what are some of your thoughts at least on either a position to target or at some of his strategy as we wrap up our co-gm portion for tonight yes yes so in my in the video i did on this i went cornerback um i you know i I like some of the cornerbacks we have but you know you saw what sauce gardner has done for the jets if you can get that number one cornerback and if byron murphy jr is your number two cornerback that's a really nice cornerback room um but for me it's either gonna be cornerback or probably interior defensive line um, those are the positions and the part of that's from kind of kind of that value-based drafting strategy in terms of how you approach that um, you know I, I I don't think it's too early to take a guard or a center we need those positions but um, for me those are the positions I'm going that high uh, I know a lot of people talk edge rusher uh, but I, I want to give the young guys we have a chance to see what they can do uh, so for me it's it's probably interior defensive line or cornerback yeah, I've had cornerback as number one for right now because it seems like that's not just a premium position, but if you extend or bring back everyone, which like, you know, let's say if they don't bring back J.J. Watt, but they have Zach Allen and Byron Murphy, then all of a sudden, you know, having to have a pass rusher or interior D-line becomes big. You're still probably mm-hmm. going to want to have a second corner. That also gives you an identity, even mm-hmm. if you keep Byron Murphy or if you move on from him. Second, I think at least just with how the Cardinals this year have been, well, I do agree that like interior defensive line, it's more of maybe a nose tackle. I would kind of feel like that you could probably be able to look at an edge rusher just because of there's a good class for them this year. They might have a d- decent position. And it feels like even with my Jay Sanders and Cam Thomas, I could see Cam just being a guy who could put on some weight like a Zach Allen and slide somewhat inside. And yeah. the, the other types of picks, you can at least say, hey, we at least now have a future past Marcus Golden. We at least have a guy that can rotate in. We just haven't seen enough, I think, from the edge to be able to put that in place. Now, the last thing that I would say is, Depending on how things go, you've got probably about four or so quarterbacks who are going to probably be there in the first round. Mm -hmm. You might be in a spot where you could trade back a little bit, be able to pick up some additional draft picks, and that may be then the best time where you could take that interior offensive lineman, be able to then have a couple of other need picks that you could use and just take some talent because if you're bringing a new coach in, you're going to be probably reworking a lot of the teams, some guys going, some guys staying. I think those are kind of some of the top options for right now. If I had to say personally, I would probably lean toward an edge rusher, but very good chance all those guys are probably gone before the Cardinals do pick. So in that regard, I think you try to get a little bit creative. It's going to be interesting to see what happens and how things shift the closer we get to the draft. For sure. Yeah. And I, you know, I think you make a good point about trading back. And I, I think if, if there's people going for a quarterback, 
go back, you know, move back, even if it's just, you know, into the teens, you might still be able to get one of the top cornerbacks or a good edge rusher if that's the direction you want to go. And then pick up another pick somewhere on late day one, early day two. Um, and, and that can really go a long way to help, you know, rebuilding the interior defensive line and the offensive line where, where this team needs a lot of help. Absolutely. Hey, uh, been one of our longer episodes this season. Thanks so much for staying on, Joe. Appreciate it. At least the time. Always some great insight, I think, at least. Uh, why don't you go ahead and also plug some of your content stuff you've done. You talked about the GM of the Cards episode already. Uh, go ahead and plug whatever else you want. You know, the Twitter handle, YouTube handle. Like This is like your moment to shine here. Ooh, okay. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. Uh, it, it's been an absolute pre- uh, pleasure getting to hang out and talk with you about the Cardinals. Yeah, the best place to find me is the Cardinal Rule on YouTube. Uh, and, and, you know, I do live streams that are kind of podcast style conversations. I do game reactions and then I do some deeper dives where I get into, you know, topics like the, the recent one we've referenced a few times where I go and talk about how I would approach free agency, the draft and, and all of that. Uh, and then you can find me on Twitter at, uh, J O K O M O 13, Jokomo 13. Uh, it's a play on my name. Um, and yeah, uh, come check me out, subscribe. And, and I think you'll enjoy my content. Awesome. Hey, thanks so much, Joe, for being on the ROTB pod. We'll be back here again at least. We've got another episode coming up at least for either this week or the next. We'll be also talking about the New England Patriots game after Monday night, the last nationally televised game of the year. Let's hope the Cardinals do as proud versus at least what they've done in some previous nationally televised games. Uh, I'm Blake Murphy. You can follow us on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7 and ROTB pod. This has been the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Go Cards. Woo!